Welcome to the Beyond Your Money podcast with Mike Dukovich, financial advisor and retirement income certified professional with RBC Wealth Management. Join us as we share the tools and insight that can help you take control of your money and your life. Because we believe life's greatest returns are realized when you invest beyond your money. And welcome to the Beyond Your Money podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Mike Dukovich. I'm a financial advisor, a retirement income certified professional, a certified plan fiduciary advisor, and an associate vice president with RBC Wealth Management. For those of you who've tuned in before, welcome back. But for anyone that's listening for the first time, this podcast is designed to help you take control. And we will do that by not only discussing a financial topic that is timely and relevant and hopefully applicable to your own wealth plan, but we will also discuss an important topic that goes beyond your money. Today's Beyond Your Money topic is something that's actually very much related to the world of finance. It's an insurance product that for one reason or another has created a great deal of confusion, tons of misconceptions, and a very polarized view of whether or not they make sense within a wealth plan. That product that I'm referring to is the annuity. And in order to help me navigate this very broad and often misunderstood topic, I've invited Mike Clark to the podcast. Mike is a divisional annuity consultant with RBC Wealth Management. He works out of our home office in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Mike has a degree in financial economics from Gustavus Adolphus College in Minnesota. He has worked in the financial services industry since 1989 and specifically in the annuity industry since 1994. Mike has worked in a wide variety of jobs within the annuity world during that 30-year-plus career, and that would include wholesaling, marketing, product management, relationship management, and also as a financial advisor. And he has personally witnessed the development of the annuity industry over that time frame. He lives in Richfield, Minnesota, and has two sons, ages 18 and 19. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mike. Glad to be here. So Mike's current role within the RBC organization is to help financial advisors like me and our clients implement income and investment strategies that utilize annuity products when they're appropriate. Mike and his team are the main contacts I reach out to, and I feel an annuity might serve a particular role in a client's wealth plan. And I wanted to bring him into the show so that he can share some of his knowledge about this very important topic. But before we begin, before we start talking about the annuities, Mike, if I may, I wanted to say one thing and basically give my very broad opinion of annuities and the annuity world. And in general, I'd say annuities are a very nuanced topic in the retirement world. It seems to me that people either love them or hate them. Love them meaning it's the only thing that they consider. It's the only thing that they use. They, they fill their portfolios with annuities and, and they think that they are the solution to everything. Or it's the complete opposite in that people hate annuities. They don't think that they're worth it. They don't like the cost. They, they don't like the surrender schedules. They, they think that they're a lousy investment. Now, it's my opinion that both of these assumptions are actually incorrect, okay? In my opinion, an annuity is simply a tool. It's a tool in my toolbox that I can use as a comprehensive wealth manager to address a need. If a client has a particular need that I think an annuity might be a good fit for, we explore that. I don't think that it's the right product for everyone. I don't think that it's uh, the one-stop shop solution for every problem that's out there by any means. But I do think that it's a tool that we can use 
and that we can specifically add to a wealth plan if it makes sense for a particular reason. So with that, Mike, let's dive in here. Why don't we first start by just defining an annuity? A lot of people don't even realize what it is. Can you first tell us what is an annuity? Yeah, Mike, I agree with your assessment too of the public's polarized view of annuities because again, for the most part, the general public doesn't understand what annuities are. The basic definition of an annuity is simply a lump sum of money given in exchange for a stream of income payments. And typically this arrangement is with the insurance company and the income stream that is generated is usually guaranteed for the rest of that owner's life or a specified time frame. The annuity industry really proliferated right about the time that pensions started to wind down and full and Ks were created. This was sometime around the early 80s. This is when companies started moving away from the defined benefit plans where the companies would contribute to the future retirement for their employees. And they started to move more towards defined contribution plans where the employees became responsible for funding their own retirements. Because of that, annuities become a more important tool because employees could convert those retirement assets into those streams of income that people were no longer getting when they lost their pensions. And so that's uh, to your point when annuities really came about. Now they've they've changed dramatically over over the last couple of decades, especially during the time frame I'll say between the Great Recession, which was you know two thousand eight, two thousand nine, up until now. And it seems like they're changing every day. And honestly, Mike, that's why you and your team within the RBC family are so vital to this discussion because that world, that landscape is changing so quickly. And there's so many different products and there's so many different companies out there with so many different bells and whistles that it's nearly impossible for an advisor to stay on top of those changes. And, and so that's why you and your team are so important. That this is what you do. This is what you eat and drink and breathe every day. And that that's why your role is so valuable to us as advisors and what we do for our clients. Yeah, I, I would agree. And the other thing that you said that rings true is that annuities are a tool that when properly positioned are an important part of a retirement plan, but often they're missold or misunderstood. In those cases, the annuity is potentially not necessary. So it is a determination of need first and then selecting the proper delivery and the proper product that will deliver on the expectation in the client's needs. And that's a great point. We'll talk about that a little bit later too. But a lot of times I'll get a client or a prospect bringing me a statement and, and they'll say, well, I bought this thing a couple of years ago or 10 years ago or whatever it might be. And I don't even really remember why I bought it or what it is or what I'm paying for here. Is it any good? And again, that's why your team, Mike, is so important because a lot of these products are older and they've changed so many times. And, and so what we do is we'll send that statement into you and your team. You'll analyze it. You'll tell us exactly what they have. And ultimately, you'll provide some guidance as far as, is it worth keeping? Is it a good product or is it a poor one? Are, are there better options out there? And, and that's really, that's the process that we go through when we are doing our annuity reviews or when we are considering making a change with a client's annuity position. That's absolutely true. And as much as the products change over time, so do clients' needs. A client may have purchased something 20 years ago, and by now that need has completely changed. That's why reviewing these from time to time is a critical part of the process. Every investment, whether it be an annuity, a stock, a mutual fund, or any investment, need to be reviewed for its appropriateness for the client situation at that time. I agree with that 100%. We, we hear this term in our industry so often, and, and it's to set it and forget it. And it just gives me goosebumps when I hear it, because 
nothing we do is set it and forget it. It's reviewed. It's assessed per the changes in the economy, per the changes in the market, per the changes in the client's lifestyle, changes in their own personal financial situation. So it's never something that we set and forget. It's an evolving plan when we're working with a client. So let's dive in here, Mike. There, there are various types of annuities. If we can, let's talk about the three or four that are, that are most common. And we'll talk about it from kind of a broad standpoint, and then we'll dive in a little bit deeper. So the first annuity I want to talk about, and you've already mentioned, you, you know, that social security and pensions are sources of retirement income. This first annuity would kind of fall into a similar category and that it can also provide reliable retirement income. That's the immediate annuity. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, the immediate annuities are the oldest annuity out there. They actually can be dated back into the 1700s, 1800s, I believe. But it basically, by definition, immediate annuities are a lump sum converted into a stream of payments. There's two versions of those immediate annuities, one called a single premium immediate annuity, otherwise known as a SPIA. And that one is where you provide the lump sum and within one year or less, begin payments for the rest of your life for a ter- or for a term that you've determined with the insurance company. The other style is of this particular product is called a deferred income annuity or a DIA. And that would be where you're going to give a lump sum of money, but you're not going to take payments for at least a year or longer. And typically that deferral time is much longer than a year, more like five to 10 years. And they're not as frequently used, but when they're used, they're used for a very specific purpose and need. Okay. That makes sense. Now, Within the immediate annuity world, with regards to the income streams, there are different payout options. A lot of times I've seen uh, things called period certain or lifetime certain or cash refund. Can you tell us a little bit about the nuances there and, and what those all mean? Yes, yeah, so sure. The, the payouts you've referred to are selected by the owner of the annuity at the point of sale, and they're based upon how long the money is going to be paid out guaranteed. So when you hear a lifetime payment, lifetime is for your lifetime. It pays as long as you're living. A period certain payment is for a specific time period. Maybe you need an income stream for a period of five to 10 years, and then it doesn't need to go beyond that. So you choose a 10-year period certain payout, and that product is going to pay out 10 years to either you or a beneficiary of your designation if you happen to pass away before the period is up. You could also pick a life with period certain payout. For example, if you choose a life with 10 years certain, the annuity would pay out for your entire lifetime, regardless of how long you live. However, if you pass away early, it would pay your beneficiary for at least the certain period, which in this case would be the 10 years. The final one that you mentioned was lifetime with cash refund. With this option, you will receive payments for the rest of your life. However, if you pass away early, your beneficiary would receive a payment of the difference between the premium you paid and the payments you've already received. In that type of payout, you know that someone is going to receive the original investment at the very least. So again, it's all based upon what the client actually wants. And by selecting different options, the income amount will go up or down commensurate to which option you select. Got it. Now, let's just hypothetically say a client takes a single premium immediate annuity and they take the lifetime option, okay? And then God forbid something were to happen quickly, say two years down the line, they, they pass away. What happens in that scenario? If they have the lifetime option, a life-only annuity means the insurance company pays you while you're alive. 
So if you live a long time, you're going to get a lot of income. But if you die prematurely, the insurance company will keep the difference between the premium you paid and the amount of income they've paid out. And so that makes sense. As, as we are working through a problem or a need for a client, these are all things that we have to take into consideration. If we're considering an immediate annuity, we know what the income need is. We probably know what the beneficiary income need might, might be and potentially what health looks like, what longevity risks there are. So these are all very important. And that's, again, one of the nuances to this world. There's so many different moving variables here to consider when we're trying to assess if an annuity makes sense. So again, the immediate annuity, it's the simplest of the annuity products. Yeah, and it's one of the most important to fully understand when you're purchasing it, as you need to be sure to make a sound decision so that you understand what will happen in the future. Sure. And then moving up the ladder into the next category would be a fixed annuity. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, the fixed annuity is pretty simple. Basically, it's an insurance product that offers a fixed rate of interest, principal protected for a fixed term, two years, five years, seven years, 10 years, and so on. So it is simply an interest rate for set term. What's more is that when you purchase a fixed annuity as an individual, there is a benefit of the interest paid being tax deferred. This feature is actually present in most annuities that are purchased by individuals because they're insurance contracts. They protect from taxation while you're accumulating in the annuity. And that I think is one of the major benefits of annuities and why a lot of people consider them as part of their overall wealth plan is the tax deferred nature of an annuity product. Right, and ultimately that taxation structure could be a huge benefit for a client and their income plan in the long term. Yeah, and a lot of folks, the tax deferral feature is important because while you're working, your tax bracket could be in, a, in the higher tax brackets. And as you retire, your tax bracket could be lower. So paying taxes later on, deferred gains can be a tax benefit. However, if your taxation is going to be the same in retirement as it is, it's, is currently, it's not as big of a difference, but each case has got to be evaluated on a case-by-case -case basis to really determine the true suitability of the annuity purchase. Of course. Sure. So, so that's the fixed annuity, right? Pretty basic. I, I think that's probably the easiest for me out of all the various types of annuities to describe to a client. You get a tax-deferred product that offers a fixed rate of interest for a set period of time. That's it. Uh, let's talk about the third one. This one's a little, a little more nuanced. It's called the fixed indexed annuity. Can you describe that one for us? Yeah. So a fixed indexed annuity, they're basically another version of a fixed annuity. It offers the same principal protection, meaning your value can't go down because of market fluctuations. And it offers the possibility for earning interest for a set term. However, instead of a set rate where the insurance company is setting the rate, fixed indexed annuities are built so that the rate of return is tied to a market index. Now make no mistake, you are not investing in the index when you're purchasing these. It is merely a way to calculate a rate of return that could be slightly higher than a fixed annuity because the index could perform better. For example, let's say you have uh, an annual point-to-point -point time frame on the S&P 500. If the S&P goes up over that year, you would receive the interest based on that performance. That rate is going to be capped, meaning you won't get the full upside of the index. So if your cap is, say, 4%, that is the most interest you can be credited during that time frame. If the S&P is up 10, you'd be capped at 4. You're going to get 
up to a cap, but with no downside. That's the key here. Fixed index annuities, you get some upside potential, but no downside. Right. So to be clear, let's say we're in a fixed in indexed annuity product with a crediting method that tracks the S&P 500, and it's a one-year point-to-point. What that product will do is it will look to see what the S&P is on day one, and then again, what the S&P is on day 365. And if the S&P is up, you will get credited an interest rate up to your cap. However, most importantly, you know that if the S&P is down over that same time frame, you stay right where you are. And, and so the way I typically describe this to a client, it gives you some upside potential, but with downside protection. And a lot of people will use these if they are, I kind of call it the, the scaredy cat investor, where they will want to invest in the market, but they just don't have the risk tolerance or the stomach to really deal with the ups, but more importantly, the downs. And so we can utilize these fixed indexed annuities as a flooring strategy because we know they're not going to lose money if the market goes down. So it's, it's a pretty unique product and something that in low interest rate environments where the market is very choppy and very volatile, it's something that a lot of people find useful because it does provide upside if the market goes well. All right, let's talk about probably the most complicated one. And this is the one that I think creates a lot of the polarized feelings with regards to annuities. And, and that's the variable annuity. There's a lot of bells and whistles to understand here. And a number of very unique add-ons, I call them, that can be utilized with this type of annuity. So let's talk about the variable annuity, Mike. Sure. The variable annuity takes the returns a step further in saying we don't want a fixed rate of return. We don't even necessarily want principal protection. We want growth. As a result, these variable annuities are usually more of a long-term product. And what the variable annuity does that's unique, it is as a menu of investment options called subaccounts. Subaccounts are similar to a mutual fund, but with a slightly different insurance structure. Usually you have a selection of subaccounts to choose from, and they can range from very conservative subaccounts to more aggressive ones. It's the client and the advisor who chooses those subaccounts inside of the variable annuity based upon what the client's particular risk tolerance is and the objective of that particular annuity as far as how it fits in that client's wealth plan. The key to remember, though, is that it's a variable in nature and the contract can go up or down depending upon the performance of the subaccounts. Now, there are a number of benefits or riders that you can add to a variable annuity that create much of the buzz around these products, things called living benefit riders or death benefit riders or chronic illness riders. And we'll talk a little bit about those in a minute, but for the sake of discussion, a variable annuity is a tax deferred product where the performance is based upon variable subaccounts that are susceptible to market fluctuations. And that's it in a nutshell. That's a great high level explanation, Mike, of, of a variable annuity. So let's talk about one more type of annuity before we get into some of those more complicated details you just mentioned. Okay. And this, this next type of annuity is newer, but they seem to be gaining a great deal of traction in the industry. And, and what I'm referring to are indexed linked annuities or sometimes called structured annuities. Can you describe what those are? Sure. So we have been in an incredibly low interest rate environment over the last couple of years. We would all agree that since the mid-2000s, rates have steadily declined and are roughly at the all-time lows. So fixed annuities are offering very low interest rates and variable annuities can be very volatile. 
So the index-linked structured style annuities come to, to be because of the basic insurance industry hedging. It's a combination of a fixed indexed annuity and a variable annuity. The combination being you have higher caps on an index-linked structure, but as a trade-off, you do have some downside potential. However, the downside is usually buffered. And by buffered, I mean that if the index were to be down, the insurance industry may cover some of that loss. For example, if the product is offering a 10% buffer, that means the company will eat that first 10% of loss. In this example, if the index is down 5%, the insurance company covers that loss. If the index is down 15%, the insurance company covers up to the 10% buffer, meaning you'd only lose 5%. So these buffers may ultimately mitigate some of your losses if the underlying index is negative. However, over the length of time you hold the product, you should experience less downside than the market because of the buffers that are offered and more upside potential than a traditional fixed index annuity because those caps are higher. Ultimately, it's a more complex product, but they're brand new. They're proliferating the marketplace. So I think it's important that people know about them. And I'd have to agree with you, Mike. And, and if we've learned anything from this first part of our conversation with these various types of annuities, there's basically, I'll call it like a, like a spectrum, a risk spectrum, ranging from the fixed annuity, which you know I would consider being you know, the most conservative of the bunch, all the way to the variable annuity being the most aggressive. And, and so when we're sitting with a client figuring out what their needs are, what we are trying to figure out is if an annuity makes sense, which product and which bells and whistles should we select? And it ranges zero to 10 as, as far as the risk spectrum. And, and typically, the more potential reward you are getting from an annuity, obviously, the more risk you're taking on. And with those index linked variable annuities, there's even within that spectrum, various buffers and various bells and whistles that you can pick from. You can have a very conservative one or a more aggressive one. So there's a lot of different annuities out there, okay? And it makes sense to consult with a professional that has all of the various tools at their disposal before you invest in an annuity for your overall wealth plan. Yeah, I would agree with that. So along those lines, when we're talking about determining need, we talk about age and, and marital status. We talk about risk tolerance, net worth, uh, available assets. We, we try to figure out current and future income needs. What kind of legacy protection is needed? And we factor all of these components in when we are looking for a suitable product. And that's where the advice comes in, okay? Being able to hone in on what the actual need is and direct the purchase to the proper product, that's critical. Okay, great. So we're going to jump around here a little bit, okay? But let's talk about one of the features. And, and usually it's on a variable annuity or an indexed annuity, but that's the living benefit rider, okay? This is something, again, I think a lot of people have misconceptions about. But let's dive in here to see if we can address some of that confusion. So, so Mike, let's first start at the beginning. What is a living benefit rider? Yeah, living benefit riders were created in the mid-90s. At that time, annuities were basically tax-deferred products with death benefits. Death benefits meaning you had to guaranteed payout when you die. Living benefits came about because at that time, in the 90s, pensions were on the decline. Social Security was not going to fund most retirements fully. And so having a guaranteed income stream from the annuity became important. As the annuity industry recognized this, 
they begin to offer something called a rider and a rider is added to the annuity that you pay an extra fee for. But this living benefit rider will guarantee a lifetime payment based off of an income base that the insurance company sets by agreement in contract with you. There are literally dozens of versions of these riders around and they have come and they have gone and they have changed virtually every year. And again, that makes it really difficult for a financial advisor to really keep track of them because the industry changes so often. And, and again, w- when we have a potential client that these annuities or these riders might be a potential fit for, that's why we consult with you because you know what the current products are and the current rates and, and what the current riders look like. So it's very important that clients are working with advisors that have those types of annuity resources at their disposal. One thing I want to emphasize with living benefit riders, and, and this is often misunderstood by clients, is that there are usually two very important numbers that show up on your statement. There's the contract value, which I describe as, you know, I'll tell a client, this is your money. That's what the product is worth. Okay. Then there's the living benefit base. That's an entirely different number, right, Mike? Yes, it is. And it's generally because there's contract rules that if you put your money in for a specific period of time, the annuity company will increase your living benefit base by a set percentage. So clients that buy these writers like the fact that they're going to grow the value of their living benefit base if they don't take distributions by a minimum of, say, 5 or 6% per year for 10 years. We can put up a flag on the hill, and as where the income value is going to be at a specific time, tied to the retirement date so that we know that the minimum income payment would be. If the investment component were to grow beyond that benefit base, income could be higher but the client knows that the income stream will be no less than that. And, and that's, again, the complexity of the rider. You got to keep track of these two values because your cash value is what you would get if you ask the insurance company for your money back. You get your cash value, less any surrender charges or contract charges or rider fees. If you ask the insurance company for an income stream, they're going to use that living benefit base for determining those payments. And usually those income riders are what are called lifetime income riders, meaning if you start turning on the income, it lasts for as long as you do. And in many cases, you can even add a joint life. So that payment could go for the second person's life as well. And that's super important, in my opinion. As we're talking about longevity risk, uh, you know, people are living longer. and, And a lot of times these lifetime income riders could make sense as a way of continuing income for a surviving spouse. But again, it's different for everyone. So let's jump into another part of the discussion, Mike. That's basically, you know, the pros and cons of annuities. We've already talked about one of the pros earlier in the discussion, and that's tax deferral, right? That's something that's there for just about all of the annuities that we're talking about. Something that makes sense for a lot of people as as tax deferred growth over time will generally do better than the same account that is not tax deferred. But Okay, let's talk about some cons. Let's talk about some of the things that potentially could give annuities that bad rap in some cases. Okay, first of all, let's talk about cost. Can you describe some of the costs that are in the various types of annuities? Yeah, so first of all, the majority of annuities have no upfront sales charge when you buy them. Because of that, many annuities have what we call surrender penalties or surrender charges. And what those are is the insurance company needs the money for a specific period of time in order to pay the advisor a commission since there are no upfront sales charges. 
So they build a surrender charge that you're committing your money for a specified period of time. That's one of the main costs that usually comes up. So you're not liquid during the surrender period, and that's important. There's also investment costs. If you're in a variable annuity specifically, you have the investment costs of subaccounts in the annuity. And finally, and most importantly, is the mortality expense and admin expense. So that's for setting up the contract, providing the guarantee, such as the death benefit, managing, paying the advisor, because the, they are products that advisors get compensated on. And in taking that one step further, Mike, let's say we have this annuity. It has the mortality and expense charge and admin charge. It also has the investment charges for the subaccounts. If we add a living benefit rider or a unique death benefit rider, these are all additional charges, right? So these are all charges and fees that we need to take into consideration when we're exploring the annuity. Some of these charges might add up to three or 4%, but even at that level, it could still make a lot of sense from an income perspective, right? For the, for the right situation. Yes. It, it all depends upon what the need is. So I've seen contracts that were sold to clients, several riders on them, and they only need one of them. If it's the living benefit you need, and that's what, that's what you should focus on. And then you're willing to pay that extra cost for that guarantee. If you don't need the living benefit, but you want a death benefit writer, again, you pay for the death benefit writer as a standalone. Yeah, that, that makes sense. That, that's probably one of the biggest issues I see with older annuities, that, that people are paying for benefits that they don't need. Or perhaps they needed them back then, but they don't need them anymore. That's definitely one of those things we consider. And that's a big part of my job, actually, is to evaluate riders and explain them to advisors so the advisors can review with the client to determine if it meets the client's needs now or in the future. Right. It, it really takes some diving into the details during this process as we're figuring out if, if they fit the client's need. Let's talk about surrender schedules briefly for a minute, though. Okay. Let's just say that we have a five-year surrender schedule on a product. Does that mean that if you needed money out of the contract, you couldn't get anything out of there? I know there are typically liquidity provisions. Can you describe what those are? Sure. So surrender penalties vary by contract, but generally they start at 7 or 8% decline over time. But at any point in time during the surrender period, there are liquidity provisions built into the contracts. Typically, you see 10%. That means that uh, 10% of your principal can be accessed on an emergency basis without surrender penalty. However, if the owner is under 59 and a half, there may be a 10% IRS penalty. Also, if you have an income writer and you turn on that income stream during the surrender period, there's no surrender charge for that. So again, these products you can tap when you, you take money out, you're restricted as to how much until you're past your surrender. And then you can liquidate the entire contract or take any amount that you want. That's very important, right? If you are considering taking money out of an annuity that's within the surrender period, you would definitely want to consult with your financial advisor because we want to make sure that if we're using the 10% penalty-free feature, for example, that we don't go a penny over that number because it could really jeopardize the contract and potentially force the insurance company to assess penalties on that. Yeah, and I would add that you would also need to evaluate whether or not that 10% would impact any of the riders that you've been paying for. That's very important. Yes, 10% may be liquid, but if you take a 10% withdrawal and you have a rider that only allows you to take a certain percent, say 
you could be resetting values on those riders, which could significantly impact the income guarantees. So the bottom line is that you can do that, but it could reset the lifetime income. So you want to be absolutely certain about what you do uh, when you're trying to take that income from these products. Great point. Okay, so we're we're running short on time, so let's wrap it up with a with a quick kind of hypothetical discussion. Okay, specifically regarding the two major segments of clients that I typically work with: young professionals and retirees. And and what I'd like for you to do again, hypothetically, these are not all encompassing solutions, but just hypothetically, is there a situation in which a young professional would potentially use an annuity? Sure. Uh, I would say it's it's not common for young professionals to have a need for an annuity, but hypothetically, let's assume your young professionals are at the peak of their earning years. They're theater, theoretically at a very high income tax bracket. And let's assume also that they're maxing out their various retirement accounts, such as 401ks and IRAs, maxing out 529 college savings programs, and they have enough money in non-qualified assets and are lucky enough to be, have more money available to invest for the long term. It could make sense for this hypothetical client to consider an annuity because of the tax-deferred growth potential. In that case, whether they use a variable annuity or an index-linked annuity, the potential growth in those annuities would grow tax-deferred, which could lead to having significantly more growth over time than compared to a similar investments that are taxable. And that makes sense. It, it would be a very particular situation for it to make sense for a young professional, but Ultimately, the key benefit, again, to your point, would be the tax-deferred nature of the products. That makes sense. Okay, uh, let's focus on the other large segment of my practice, and that's retirees. What would a retiree typically use an annuity for? Yeah, I'll look at this by using a football analogy. When you're in the retirement red zone, as you get close to your actual retirement date, or you're at the retirement date, the goal is to get to the end zone, right? That's the goal. And when a retiree gets down to those last few working years and they're setting up their lifetime retirement income, where they turn off the paycheck from work and turn on paychecks from themselves from the nest egg that they've accumulated, that is where those guaranteed income riders would become extremely critical. And having the retirement income products bundled in a way where you can manage them for your own income and possibly protect your legacy too with death benefits, that could be very attractive to a retiree as well. That's great, Mike. I, I really appreciate this. That's about all the time we have right now. As I'm looking through my notes and our outline here, I'm recognizing that we probably need to have at least one more discussion on, on annuities. There are so many details out there and, and we just can't get to them all. But bottom line, I'd like to thank you again for coming on and, and for sharing your knowledge on this incredibly misunderstood topic. If we've learned anything from today's discussion, it's that there's no one clear-cut answer as to whether or not an annuity is appropriate for you or for your financial wealth plan. That decision is dependent on a number of very specific and very personal factors that only you know the answers to in most cases. And when you're making these types of decisions, it's critical that you consult with the professionals that are qualified to help because there are so many components to a wealth plan and there are so many different products and investments and strategies out there. And annuities just happen to be one of them. And so it's simply in your best interest to engage with a financial advisor before trying to do it on your own. Now, that said, if you or a loved one need some help or some guidance with regards to your own personal wealth plan, or you're simply interested in learning more about me or my practice, please reach out by calling direct to my office at 
833-433-4446. Or you can email me at michael.dukovic at rbc.com. And Dukovic is D-U-K-O-V-I-C-H. Or you can simply visit my website at michaeldukovic.com. And that's where you'll find a ton of valuable information on, on a wide range of financial topics. Because again, after all, my, my goal is to educate. My goal is to inform. And my goal is to be top of mind for if and when questions come up down the line, because I'm looking to work with people that understand that you shouldn't be doing it alone. People who value the plan and people that recognize that life's greatest returns are only realized when you invest beyond your money. So remember, it's your money, it's your life. Take control. Thank you for listening to the Beyond Your Money podcast with financial advisor, Mike Dukovich. Make sure you click the subscribe button now so you will be notified when new podcasts are released. If you want to know more about working with Mike, please call 724-933-4446 or visit michaeldukovich.com. It's your money. It's your life. Take control. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of RBC Wealth Management. All opinions and estimates constitute the speaker's judgment as of the date of this recording and are subject to change without notice and are provided in good faith but without legal responsibility. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial services provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. RBC Wealth Management does not provide tax or legal advice. All decisions regarding the tax or legal implications of your investment should be made in connection with your independent tax or legal advisor. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. It is not possible to invest directly in an index. Investment and insurance products offered through RBC Wealth Management are not insured by the FDIC or any other federal government agency, are not deposits or other obligations of or guaranteed by a bank or any bank affiliate, and are subject to investment risks, including the possible loss of the principal amount invested. RBC Wealth Management is a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSE, FINRA, and SIPC.